Before we begin, just a disclaimer, you might encounter strong language. Yikes. I also wanted to state that the narrations are my personal experience and opinions and should be taken with a side serving of humor. I don't aim to be representative as the narrations are part of my privileged experience and may differ from person to person. with a heavy heart and you know you're really sad that you're leaving your family back home and when you reach the airport or the airline uh, counter the air hostess tells you madam uh, your luggage is overweight and uh, you've got to loosen your uh, baggage a little bit and you're thinking should I throw that uh, really heavy uh, pressure cooker or should I get rid of those ugly bed sheets that my mom has packed or should I get rid of those uh, 25 masala packets that my mom has packed? I don't know when I'm going to be making usal or when I'm going to be making, uh, I don't know, uh, watanachi sabji. God knows what. weeks that's been quite long and tiring and I'm a bit under the weather um, my voice might sound a little bit nasally but I said you know what it's my second episode and I'd rather uh, record some amazing content for people tuning in so this episode is called basically crazy bitch and Indian um it is going to be an episode where I'm going to be narrating a whole lot of uh, crazy and funny um, sort of experiences of mine while moving to Melbourne. Melbourne. As a teenager, um, I was actually introduced to um, this film um, of Karan Johar's Kuch Kuch Hota Hai and I think Kal Ho Na Ho as well. Um, I was actually really blown away by these films. Uh, as a 11 year old, I think I was 11 or 12 years old, uh, I was quite impressionable. So watching something like that was like, oh my God, wow. Uh, it was different. It was like one of those rom-coms that you would be uh, like, you know, 90210, which was airing on Star Plus at that point of time. It was pretty much that, but in a film format. So you can imagine what sort of an effect it had on me. And I think about three months post that, I was sporting, a, you were know, seen sporting around wearing one of those uh, hairbands with polka dots. Uh, I literally thought I was the character Anjali in that film. Lots of similarities. I was a uh, I was a tomboy while I was growing up as a I think in my formative teenage years. So it's anywhere between from your ten to almost sixteen years old. I was a tomboy. I had short hair. I would never never wear anything close to. Um, you know, dresses or skirts. I hated wearing any sort of jewelry. Didn't have my ears pierced. Had really, really short hair. Almost to the point that um, I think for one of the school plays, 
uh, I didn't even think twice before going to the, I think I went to the barber where my dad used to get a haircut and actually got myself a buzz cut, like literally shaved my hair for just for a place. So you can imagine how um, intense I was as a tomboy. Even on family outings or like when we went on holidays uh, interstate within India, um, particularly on this one trip, we were going to Chennai and I was with my um, older cousin and my aunties and my parents weren't traveling with me, but I was there. And uh, I think one of the travel TC, uh, you know, they had the ticket collectors in the trains would have, uh, you know, came to check the tickets. And uh, on my ticket, it said female. And he looked at me and he actually said, no, you guys are lying. This this passenger is a, is a male. And so th- that was the extent to how much of a tomboy I was, that people used to mistaken me as Joe and Stella's son because, um, yeah, there was nothing feminine about me. I literally used to get into fights with boys. I used to play with them. I never liked Barbie dolls. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I was just this sort of rough, uh, crazy, almost boyish kind of a little human. Uh, and to imagine that now, a very few people would actually believe that I was such a tomboy growing up. So coming back to my reference of Kuch Kuch Hota Hai, and yes, Anjali and Snehal had a lot of semblance. So when I watched the movie, it influenced me so much that I was almost certain I would uh, finish my school years and then travel overseas where I was, you know, like this whole glamorous picture of uh, rolling green hills and, you know, you know, the uniform where you'd wear that short skirt and that blazer. Uh, and I would be in one of those universities and I would meet this, you know, amazingly good looking dude and I would fall in love and, you know, life would just be amazing and I would live happily ever after. Reality wasn't far from it. Um, in my year 10, my mum enrolled me into uh, something um, I don't know how to reference that in Australia back out here. Um, it was almost like coaching or tutorial um, classes, like sessions post uh, school. Uh, so you go in to do extra work. So like tutorial uh, centers. So yeah, my mom enrolled me in something like that. Um, it's every tiger mom back home in India does. Basically teaching your kid post school is looked upon as an extra chore. Um, and if you didn't, enroll your kid into one of those tuition classes then you were lacking as a parent so my mom buckled down uh, although my mom was a teacher she buckled down to the pressure and she enrolled me in one of those um, tutorial uh, classes and it ran only during uh, summer vacations uh, and uh, during uh, the midterm vacations as well so it wasn't a uh, you know during regular school hours it only happened during the two months of vacations that we had during summer and then a midterm uh, vacations and um, that was the first time. So I actually studied in a convent all-girls school. And most of my life, I went to a girls' convent school. I went to a girls' college. Uh, and so my interactions with the male and, uh, uh, you know, the male species was very limited. Although I had many um, friends uh, growing up, like my neighbors, sons and things like that. We, uh, I mean, I did encounter or did interact with boys but this is the first time that I was in an enclosed space with uh, boys of my same age uh, from a different school and uh, the area where I lived back home in India there were the, uh, several really good uh, almost like private schools out here 
and they were well reputed so all of the uh, the boys and the girls had this sort of air about themselves that they belonged to a certain school and some schools were really cooler than the other ones and so when i entered uh, this tutorial center this was a mixed sort of group where uh, kids from these schools were in a confined space so during those tutorial centers or during the sessions, um, for the longest time, nothing changed. I was still uh, going about being that rowdy tomboy person that I was um, until one fine day, this really tall, lanky, almost uh, Nick Carter lookalike. I'm not sure the younger generation now could relate to who Nick Carter is, but I think he belonged to Backstreet Boys and he was the, the, the most... Um, the craze of every girl at that point of time so yeah this 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 nick carter lookalike entered um the session he was a, a new student who was enrolling and i think i don't know what happened it was one of those scenes straight out of like the rom-coms where you know uh fireworks go off and uh, butterflies in your tummy and that very instant something changed within me Um, I think the next day I uh, was was seen digging into my sister's closet very secretly trying to, you know, look for something that was more girly, uh, like a shirt or a skirt. And I, I remember my sister giving me that odd look like, you never wear skirts. How the hell are you wearing skirts? Um, and I said, no, I just, it's too hot. I need to wear something short. So yeah, the excuses. And um, they started taking interest in uh, applying mascara or eyeliner because I think studying in a convent school, you were only allowed to do a certain sort of embellishment to your, uh, you know, your aesthetics as a, as a girl. Uh, if you were caught doing any of uh, like applying makeup or, uh, you know, kind of accessorizing, you'd get into deep trouble. So. Uh, I was very aware of that. So I tried to kind of mask it by doing it really like slowly and, you know, in sort of short spurts of, uh, you know, kind of releasing my feminism um, or feminism or femininity more so. Uh, so that um, sudden brush of uh, excitement and thrill of your first crush really changed me forever, I think. It kind of made me the woman that I am today. And uh, if anyone knows me today, would say that I really like, uh, I do dress up very, very feminine at times. I do have that tomboyishness still there with me. But overall, yes, that, that very particular episode in my life did change me forever. And if you're wondering, did I land up with that uh, guy or did I take my crush further? No, unfortunately, uh, um, he, nah, it was an epic uh, puppy love crush disaster. Uh, he was too good for me. First uh, heartbreak, but nonetheless was really, uh, um, you know, sort of uh, life changing in the matter of fact. However, I did encounter puppy love two years later and how I must add, um, I might narrate that epic love disaster for a later episode, but this one is about basically why I moved overseas. And so, yes, it was because of puppy love. Um, they say love is uh, blind, but in my case, it was deaf and dumb as well because uh, I was so adamant about moving to Australia. I've had spent three years in advertising, was doing pretty well. 
and my parents were so against me moving to a different country. Uh, they had apprehensions and doubt because I had never lived by myself alone. Come to think of it, no one in the Fernandez clan, no one. I mean, I think I had one cousin who had uh, was basically had taken a job on, on uh, I think it was ship on a ship on a cruise ship, and that was pretty much uh, the only person, the other person in my family who had decided to move away from the family. So this is me, the black sheep of the family, who had made proclaimed to the world and to the family saying that I want to move to Australia. Uh, to them, I was moving to pursue my master's, but in the back of my head and secretly I knew why I was moving because I really wanted to be with my then boyfriend. Uh, I didn't have anyone in Melbourne. I literally had no family, no acquaintances, just the fact that I had my boyfriend there and everything was going to be okay. Now that I think about it, it was a really silly uh, idea to do that. I wouldn't recommend this to anyone. Do not move for love. Do not move for love. Think about it. Really think about it. Take a really hard, hard look at it and think about it before you make that big decision. When I was moving to Melbourne, you know, there's this picture painted in a lot of movies. Like I had watched Crocodile Dundee. Stupid, I know. Uh, Mural's Wedding and a couple of other, um, you know, sort of television uh, serials or movies that depicted Australia. And so it always was shown that it was sunny, it had beaches, it was warm. And so no one ever told me that it was going to be really, really bloody cold in Melbourne. The weather in Melbourne uh, was basically, um, you know, so cold. It was a rude shock. Not even my then boyfriend had mentioned that the weather was so unpredictable, almost like, you know, the unpredictability of the life that I was embarking on whilst moving to Melbourne. So me with my big dreams embarked on this journey with my even bigger luggage and suitcases. My first pitfall. Your parents pack your luggage while you're moving, uh, almost as if you're moving to a gao. Uh, the reference Gao means a village. Uh, Gao is a colloquial Hindi word that means village. So my parents literally thought, I know, they know, they are educated that I was moving to Melbourne. But in their head, oh, my little child's moving. She needs to have everything. So they literally packed my luggage or my suitcase to the brim with things that I don't think were quite essential. Uh, so first pitfall was when you, you're basically heartbroken, you're leaving everyone back home, you're sad, uh, you're anxious, and you go up to the counter where the airline hostess basically weighs your luggage and looks at you sternly and says, unfortunately, madam, you will have to lessen your load. That means your cooker, your masala packets, and all of the bed sheets that your mom has packed has to be either left behind or given back, or we will get rid of it. With a rather apologetic and pleading tone, I was like, no, madam, you can throw everything else, not just not the masala packets, please, please. So post that episode and post that pitfall, number one. Um, I lugged around my luggage with a heavy heart and in even heavier shoulders because I had won literally five jackets to lessen the load in my suitcases so if I thought I wore those five jackets no one would weigh me so voila you know I was winning at life 
So there you go. That's how dramatic that departure was. So anyone considering, you know, kind of packing uh, or for moving overseas, either be a student or for eternity, uh, yeah, there are some helpful tips out here. 11 hours on the plane and I thought I was going to, you know, open my eyes tomorrow morning to a Manhattan style skyline with the opening sequence of Sex in the City playing in the background. And I wouldn't disembark from the plane one foot forward, being the most fabulous, amazing self that I was. On the contrary, what happened is when the plane started lowering uh, in altitude, uh, I looked outside the window and I saw these amazing green fields and pastures. And I was like, wow, this feels like Switzerland. 15 minutes later, again, it was the same thing. And then another 15 minutes and the same thing. And then, then I started to wonder, oh, where is that promised Manhattan-style skyline or any civilization for that matter? I almost panicked and had that moment where I wanted to run up to the pilot's cabin and say, please turn back, please turn back. I think, you know, the familiarity of the blue uh, plastic thatched roofs of Mumbai were more appealing than, uh, you know, rolling hills that went on for eternity that I could see straight out of the window. Um, I really began to panic at that point of time. My first few weeks in Melbourne were met with excitement, bewilderment, and a lot of confusion. $3 could basically get you a loaf of bread or three liters of juice, but but not a single cup of coffee. It was bloody expensive. Your mind becomes a human calculator. You're always converting dollars into rupees, rupees into AUD. Um, yeah, and it just keeps, you know, just numbers flicking in your head. All those binge eating sessions of vada pao and cutting chai uh, are remembered fondly. The simple pleasures that you would probably have taken for granted soon come to haunt you. Like, why the hell did I not, you know, pack a gazillion frozen vada paos? I'm never, ever going to get to relish it again. 5 p.m. in Melbourne is like the reckoning hour. I mean, everything everything just stops. It's only gotten better to almost 5.30 in the recent years. But yeah, pretty much 5.00, is a reckoning hour. Uh, everything just shuts down. Doctors, uh, banks, you know, shopping. The one thing that I can totally relate to being a Mumbai car was late night shopping. Nothing of that sort exists in uh, Melbourne, except on Thursdays, but you have to go to a mall. There's no roadside or street side stalls that you can just be like, oh, let's buy a chappal or let's buy a pair of shoes. Uh, oh, yeah, that, you know, that scarf looks really good. The simple pleasures, just gone. It felt like I was in a land of Draculas and vampires who were reverse engineered. So basically, they all were awake and alive during the day. But come 5 p.m. when the day ended, they all went back into their caves or into their little shells. One of the other major drawbacks of moving overseas is that you become a perpetual DM. That is domestic made. You could be a CEO, you could be an industrialist, you could be an almost famous person, but you've got to do your own dishes, you've got to wash your own clothes, you've got to clean the house, you've got to take out your own trash. 
a lot of these things most people back home don't even relate to i have numerous calls with my mom and my sister back home and on that particular day if the maid servant hasn't showed up it's like almost an apocalyptic uh, sort of event at home you know the world's coming to an end they will be whining and whinging about it and for me living 5000 miles away in melbourne where most of my relatives and you know family members think oh i'm living the life i'm pretty much on a saturday sunday trying to do life admin and trying to cope with it there's another piece of advice i'd like to give to anyone who's moving and especially girls i think women women uh who are planning to move overseas do not move in or do not uh think of moving or sharing an accommodation with your best friend um it's the worst decision you could make in your life uh just going by personal experience it could be different for you but in my case i think it was one of the worst decisions i have made and i'm not very proud of that one um you know as friends and when you start becoming housemates you almost for certain become uh, socially responsible for each other in my case i did become very socially responsible almost like oh my god uh we are friends now we are away from our parents so i you know i have to be socially responsible for her i have got to be uh, almost taking up that you know so called uh, helicopter parent or something of that sort uh, almost like a parents role be advising her uh, and that's where things can go wrong as friends you can advise your each other or you can you know uh, tell each other uh, things about your life but there are no sort of implications or uh, you know resentments attached to it. as soon as you put into a confined space of living in an apartment together and sharing responsibilities and if there is one mess up or someone's uh, you know lack of judgment or things like that that social responsibility just takes over and you just hold that on and you get latched on to it and one of my biggest regret is to actually moving in with my uh, then best friend i really really i hope if she's listening to this podcast i really miss her and i hope i could take back that you know decision of moving in with her as a, as housemates in the first instance um so yes if you are moving overseas do not move in with your best friend however uh you know uh, safe comfortable uh you know or comforting it might sound i reckon moving in with an absolute group of strangers or living by yourself could be even much more adaptable and easier to deal with rather than moving in with a friend getting really comfortable taking them each other for granted and voila that's the end of friendship another disaster is moving overseas when you have a boyfriend or a partner who's already well settled uh in that country you just don't get to experience the same uh you know the comfortable life popping cherry uh experience that a lot of people who move in alone get somehow the boyfriend or the partner softens the blow not sure it's good or bad but in my opinion it curbed my ability to explore to be adventurous and also to learn so you see i come from a rather sheltered life uh, for 26 years i was a second child pampered never lifted a finger at home uh, didn't have any res- major responsibilities and then i made a decision of moving to australia and so when i did that i moved from a sheltered life of having parents who looked after me 
do another sort of sheltered and protected life that my boyfriend or my partner, then partner actually created for me. It was only several years later when the romantic bubble burst and I found myself uh, single again when the relationship ended. Uh, I saw myself as a woman living overseas alone by herself and got to really enjoy the joyous moments and the not so joyous and basically the mishaps of living alone. I know a whole lot of people who moved, uh, you know, to different countries when they got married, post their marriage. So they got, uh, they moved countries because uh, either of their partner, one of the partner was actually living overseas and so they had to move. And that in that instance uh, where you are a partner and you've made the decision to move to a different country, it's the likelihood of actually kind of embracing everything that partner has come to know of that particular country or that land. And as Indians, we tend to flock uh, together. So the chance of encountering uh, people from other cultures or countries or, you know, different sort of setups becomes really scarce purely because your partner's whole life or friend circle or experience become uh, your experience. And it's just basically thrown upon you that this is what uh, the, the country is supposed to be or this is what kind of experiences you will have. And it's kind of slowly starts getting engraved in you. And uh, you don't really take that many risks or challenges unless you are the more adventurous kind. I, on the other hand, wasn't at that point of time. And so one of the biggest drawbacks of when you are enforced or uh, upon this whole friend circle or experiences of another person or your partner, uh, we tend to forget that we've moved to a different country. It could be the reverse for a whole lot of people. Uh, and you could, you know, you could completely give up on your roots and, you know, make yourself to be known as a different entity altogether. And that could be amazing. But there are a whole lot of people who I know that uh, were basically you know, enforced upon the views and opinions or, uh, you know, relationships and things like that of uh, coming from a partner. And that's all they got to know uh, in experiences of, uh, you know, just going out and trying out a different cuisine or going and talking to a stranger or making friends. That's very limited. Uh, in my case, at least that's what happened. I was constantly surrounded by my then partner's friends and experiences, and it then became my experiences and it became my relation and relationship ties. And I very, very rarely uh, wanted to venture out of it because it was my comfort zone. It was what I, uh, you know, had come to known of living overseas, but it was very much similar to back home. It wasn't very different. Until when I, you know, became single again and when my relationship ended, that's when the real excitement and joy of living overseas um, really sort of happened. I got to experience living in a different country at a whole different level where uh, the, the adventures, the mishaps and uh, some of the most amazing friendships uh, sort of happened as well. So for anyone moving overseas, yes, it's amazing and life-changing, 
but it's hard. It's bloody, bloody hard. Gut-wrenching, cutthroat, and you've got to give it everything. Hold on to the ties that might remind you of home, but also go discover new friendships, conversations with people from different backgrounds and ethnicities, and experiment with food, sport, culture, and a reminder to all my lovely women friends out there and young, uh, you know, aspirational women and girls who want to go overseas and study to a different country, go forth. It is the most amazing experience you'll ever have, but it's hard. And you'll always be known as that crazy bitch that moved overseas, but very much Indian.